0: Section 1 of Three Elephant Power and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Thomas, Melbourne, Australia. Three Elephant Power and Other Stories by Andrew Barton Patterson. Three Elephant Power. Them things, said Alfred the Chauffeur, Tapping the speed indicator with his fingers. Them things are all right for the police, but Lord, you can fix them up if you want to. Did you ever hear about Henry, that used to drive for old John Bull? About Henry and the elephant? Alfred was chauffeur to a friend of mine who owned a very powerful car. Alfred was part of that car. Weirdly intelligent, of poor physique. He might have been any age from 15 to 80. His education had been somewhat hurried, but there was no doubt as to his mechanical ability. He took to a car like a young duck to water. He talked motor, thought motor, and would have accepted, I won't say with enthusiasm, for Alfred's motto was nil admirari, but without hesitation, an offer to drive in the greatest race in the world. He could drive really well, too. As for belief in himself, after six months' apprenticeship in a garage, he was prepared to vivisect a six-cylinder engine with the confidence of a diplomat bachelor of engineering. Barring a tendency to flash driving, and a delight in persecuting slow cars by driving just in front of them and letting them come up and enjoy his dust, and then shooting away again, he was a respectable member of society. When his boss was in the car, he cloaked the natural ferocity of his instincts, but this day, with only myself on board, and a clear run of a 120 miles up to the station before him, he let her loose, confident that if any trouble occurred, I would be held morally responsible. As we flew past a somnolent bush pub, Alfred, whistling softly, leant forward and turned on a little more oil. You never heard about Henry and the elephant? He said. It was dead funny. Henry was a bushwhacker, but clean mad on motorin. He was a wood-and-water joey at some squatter's place, until he seen a motor car go past one day, the first that ever they had in the district. That's my game, says Henry. No more wood-and-water joey for me. So he comes to town and gets a job off Miles that had that garage at the back of Allison's, an old cove that they called John Bull. I don't know his right name. He was a fat old cove. He used to come there to hire cars, and Henry used to drive him. And this old John Bull, he had lots of stuff, so at last he reckons he's going to get a car for himself, and he promises Henry a job to drive it. A queer cove this Henry was, half mad I think, but the best hand with a car ever I see. While he had been talking we topped a hill and opened up a new stretch of blue-grey granite-like road. Down at the foot of the hill was a teamster's wagon in camp, The horses in their harness munching at their nose bags, while the teamster and a mate were boiling a billy a little off to the side of the road. There was a turn in the road just before the wagon which looked a bit sharp, so of course Alfred bore down on it like a whirlwind. The big, stupid team horses huddled together and pushed each other awkwardly as we passed. A dog that had been sleeping in the shade of the wagon sprang out right in front of the car and was exterminated without ever knowing what struck him. There was just room to clear the tail of the wagon and negotiate the turn. Alfred, with the calm decision of a Napoleon, swung round the bend to find that the teamster's hack, fast asleep, was tied to the tail of the wagon. Nothing but a lightning-like twist of the steering wheel prevented our scooping the old animal up and taking him on board as a passenger. As it was, we carried off most of his tail as a trophy on the brass of the lamp. The old steed, thus rudely awakened, lashed out good and hard, but by that time we were gone, and he missed the car by a quarter of a mile. During this strenuous episode, Alfred never relaxed his professional stolidity, and when we were clear, went on with his story in the tone of a man who found life wanting in animation. Well, at first, the old man would only buy one of those little eight-horse rubby-dubbies that go struggling up hills with a death-rattle in its throat, and all the people in buggies passing it. Of course, that didn't suit Henry. He used to get that spiked when a car passed him, he'd nearly go mad. And one day, he nearly got the sack for dodging about up a steep hill in front of one of them big 24 darracks, full of owl and toffs, and not letting them get a chance to go past till they got to the top. But at last, he persuaded old John Bull to let him go to England and buy a car for him. He was to do a year in the shops and pick up all the wrinkles and get a car for the old man. Bit better than wooden water joeing, wasn't it? Our progress here was barred by our rounding a corner right onto a flock of sheep that at once packed together into a solid mass in front of us, blocking the whole road from fence to fence. Silly cows are things, ain't they? said Alfred, putting on his emergency brake and skidding up till the car came softly to rest against the cushion-like mass, a much quicker stop than any horse-drawn vehicle could have made. A few sheep were crushed somewhat, but it is well known that a sheep is practically indestructible by violence. Whatever Alfred's faults were, he certainly could drive. Well, he went on, lighting a cigarette, unheeding the growls of the drovers who were trying to get the sheep to pass the car. Well, as I was saying, Henry went to England and he got a car. Do you know what he got? No, I don't. He got a ninety, said Alfred slowly, giving time for the words to soak in. A ninety? What do you mean? He got a ninety, A 90-horsepower racing engine, what was made for some American millionaire, and wasn't as fast as what some other millionaire had, so he sold it for the price of the iron. And Henry got it, and had a body built for it, and he comes out here and tells us it's all a 20 mongrel. You know, one of them cars that's made in part in one place and part in another, the body here and the engine there, and the radiator in another place. There's lots of cheap cars made like that. So, Henry says that this is a 20 mongrel, only a four-cylinder engine and nobody drops to what she is till Henry goes out one Sunday and waits for the big napier that Scotty used to drive. It belonged to the same bloke what owned that big racehorse what won all the races. So Henry and Scotty, they have a fair go round the park while both their bosses is at church, and Henry beat him out of sight. Fair lost him, and so Henry was reckoned the boss of the road. No one would take him on after that. A nasty creek crossing here required Alfred's attention. A little girl carrying a billy can of water stood by the stepping stones and smiled shyly as we passed. Alfred waved her a salute, quite as though he were an ordinary human being. I felt comforted. He had his moments of relaxation, evidently, and his affections like other people. What happened to Henry and the 90-horse machine? I asked. And where does the elephant come in? Alfred smiled pityingly. Ain't I tellin' you, he said. You wouldn't understand if I didn't tell you how he got the car and all that. So here's Henry, he went on, with old John Bull going about in the fastest car in Australia. And old John, he's a quiet old geezer that wouldn't drive faster than the regulations for anything. And that's short sighted. He can't see the side of the road. So what does Henry do? He fixes up the speed indicator, puts a new face on it, so that when the car is doing 30, the indicator only shows 15 and 20 for 40 and so on. So out they'd go, and if Henry knew there was a big car in front of him, he'd let out to forty five, and the pace would very near blow the whiskers off old John. And every now and then he'd look at the indicator, and it'd be showing twenty two and a half, and he'd say, Better be careful, Henry. You're slightly exceeding the speed limit. Twenty miles an hour, you know, Henry. That should be fast enough for anybody, and you're doing over twenty two. Well, one day, Henry told me he was trying to catch up to a big car that just came out from France, and it had a half-hour start of him, and he was just fairly flyin'. and there was a lot of cars on the road, and he flies past him so fast, the old man says, it's very strange, Henry, he says, that all the cars that are out today are coming this way, he says, you see, he was passing them so fast, he thought they was all coming towards him. And Henry sees a mate of his comin', so he lets out a notch or two, and the two cars flew by each other like chain lightning. They were each doing about 40, and the old man, he says, There's a driver must be travelling a hundred miles an hour. He says, I never see a car go by so fast in my life. He says, If I could find out who he is, I'd report him. He says, Did you know the car, Henry? But of course, Henry, he doesn't know, so on they goes. The owner of the big French car thinks he has the fastest car in Australia, and when he sees Henry and the old man coming, he tells his driver to let her out a little. But Henry gives the 90 horse the full of the lever and whips up alongside in one jump. Then he keeps there just half a length ahead of him, tormenting him like. And the owner of the French car, he yells out to old John Bull, You're going a nice pace for an olden, he says. Old John has a blink down at the indicator. We're doing 25 he yells out. Twenty five grandmothers, says the bloke. But Henry, he put on his accelerator and left him. It wouldn't do to let the old man get wise to it, you know. We topped a big hill, and Alfred cut off the engine and let the car swoop, as swiftly and noiselessly as an eagle, down to the flat country below. You're a long while coming to the elephant, Alfred, I said. Well now, I'll tell you about the elephant said Alfred, letting his clutch in again and taking up the story to the accompaniment of the rhythmic throb of the engine. One day, Henry and the old man were going out a long trip over the mountain and down the Kangaroo Valley Road that's all cut out the side of the hill. And after they's gone a mile or two, Henry sees a track in the road, the track of the biggest car he's ever seen or heard of. And the more he looks at it, the more he reckons he must catch that car and see what she's made of. So he slows down, passing two yokels on the road, and he says, "Did you see a big car along here?" "Yes, we did." They says, "How big is she?" says Henry. "Biggest car we ever see," says the yokels, and they laugh that silly way these yokels always does. "How many horsepower do you think she was?" says Henry. "Horsepower?" they says. "Elephant power, you mean?" "She was three elephant power," they says, and they goes, "Haw haw!" And Henry drops his clutch in, and off he goes after that car. Alfred lit another cigarette as a preliminary to the climax. So they run for miles, and all the time there's the track ahead of them, and Henry keeps letting her out, thinking that he'll never catch that car. They went through a town so fast, the old man, he says, what house was that we just passed? He says, at last they come to the top of a big hill, and there's the tracks of the big car going straight down ahead of him. Do you know that road? It's all cut out of the side of the mountain, and there's places where, if she was to sideslip, you'd go down hundreds of thousands of feet. And there's sharp turns too, but the surface is good. So Henry, he lets her out, and down they go, whizzing round the turns, and skating out near the edge, and the old cove sitting there enjoying it, never knowing the danger. And coming to one turn, Henry gives a toot on the awn, and then he heard something go toot toot right away down the mountain about a mile ahead it seemed to be, and Henry reckoned he'd go another four miles before he'd catch it, so he chances them turns more than ever. And she was pretty hot too, but he kept her at it, and he hadn't gone a full mile till he came round a turn about 40 miles an hour, and before he could stop, he run right into it. And what do you think it was? I hadn't the faintest idea. A circus. One of them travelling circuses going down the coast, and one of the elephants had sore feet. So they put him in a big wagon, and another elephant pulled in front, and one pushed behind. Three elephant power it was, right enough. And that was the wagon what made the big track. Well, it was all done so sudden. Before Henry could stop, he runs the radiator, very near boiling she was, up against the elephant's tail, and prints the pattern of the latest honeycomb radiator on the elephant, as clear as if you'd done it with a stencil. The elephant, he lets a roar out of him like one of them bulls bellerin and he puts out his nose and catches Henry round the neck, and he yanks him out of the car and chucks him right clean over the cliff, about a thousand feet. But he never done nothing to the oblog. Good gracious! Well, it finished, Henry. Killed him stone dead, of course. And the old man, he was terrible cut up over losing such a steady, trustworthy man. Never get another like him, he says. We were nearly at our journey's end, and we turned through a gate into the home paddocks. Some young stock, both horses and cattle, came frisking and cantering after the car, and the rough bush track took all Alfred's attention. We crossed a creek, the water swishing from the wheels, and began the long pull up to the homestead. Over the clamour of the little-used second speed, Alfred concluded his narrative. The old bloke advertised, he said, for another driver, a steady, reliable man to drive a twenty-horsepower, four-cylinder touring car. Every driver in Sydney put in for it. Nothing like a fast car to fetch him, you know. And Scotty got it. Him what used to drive the Napier I was telling you about. And what did the old man say when he found he'd been running a racing car? He don't know now. Scotty never told him. Why should he? He's driving about the country now, the boss of the roads. But he won't chance her near a circus. Thinks he might pump the same elephant. And that elephant? Every time he smells a car passing in the road, he goes near mad with fright. If he ever sees that car again, do you think he'd know it? Not being used to elephants, I could not offer an opinion. End of section one.